0: This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God and worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. I want to direct you, if you have your copy of God's Word with you, to the book of Revelation. Uh, We're really going from end to end. We finished the series on Abraham in Genesis, and now we are beginning another series uh, that will be focusing on the Lord Jesus Uh, And I'll speak more to that in just a moment. As you're turning there, I wanted to give you an update on Emma. Uh, Many of you have been asking if we have heard anything from the insurance. I told you several weeks ago we were waiting on decisions to be made about Emma and the funding she receives. And we have heard absolutely nothing. Uh, So we'll continue to wait and pray and keep doing what we're doing. You know, the Lord's in control of that. we would ask you all to pray for this, however. This coming Wednesday, we will be taking Emma to Franklin Woods where she will be administered a swallowing test. Uh, The speech therapist has been very encouraged by Emma's responses when she gives Emma water and other things. So this may be just another step toward uh, getting the trach removed. Uh, which So we're very encouraged that this is even on the table. Uh, so pray that all will go well Wednesday as she goes through that. I don't know how long, we'll be at Franklin Woods, I'm sure, for an hour or two as that's administered. So please be in prayer for Emma as she goes through that. Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 4 through 6, although we will really focus on verses 4 through the beginning of verse 5. So Revelation chapter 1, and as I said in a moment, I'm going to speak to while we are diving into Revelation again, hear the word of the Lord. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. May God be glorified in the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. From now until Christmas, I'm going to be leading us in a series focusing on getting to know you. Now, this is a series about getting to know Jesus, and it's going to be based on Revelation because part of Revelation is about a revelation of who Jesus is. So I'm hoping that doing this, we will come to know more about our Lord. Now, a legitimate question to be asked is why? I mean, it's very easy for us to settle back into our comfort zone and think, well, I've known about Jesus for a long time and have studied him, but the reality is we always need to know more of who Jesus is, not just for the sake of trivial pursuit or knowing all the facts, but it's like in any relationship. There's always a depth, a depth through which we need to know more of who Christ is, and especially when we realize that our transformation comes as we know, come to know more of who Jesus is. And that word know is a, a, an experiential word. As we come to know him and to walk with him, we are transfer, transformed, as the Apostle Paul said, from glory unto glory, we are changed. It's very important for us to come back to say, well, who is this Jesus? It's very easy for us to pray, Lord, make me like Jesus what's that like it's very easy for us to go back to the bracelets from i guess almost two decades ago wwjd which in my house usually stands for what would jody do (laughs) of course we're used to those initials what would jesus do how do we know for sure what jesus would do so it's very important that that we come back to who he is because Quite frankly, no one saw Jesus overturning tables in the temple. When he came into the temple that day, nobody said, no, we know you are a troublemaker that's just going to overturn. They didn't expect that. The disciples were shocked when they saw Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman in the middle of the day at the well. They were shocked, astonished at that. Because the real danger for us is that we recreate Jesus in our image. Isn't it very interesting that often what Jesus would do is exactly what we would do? And that should make us very uncomfortable. We tend to interpret and reinterpret Jesus based on our culture. Now, you see this reflected mostly in art. And I just wanted to give you some examples of this. When it comes to getting to know Jesus, this is probably the image that comes to mind first. You know, who of us that have grown up in church did not see this picture of Jesus on some Sunday school wall? It's the Victorian Jesus. This came about in the 1800s reflecting the Victorian idea of the ideal male. But that's not enough because, as I said, we tend to recreate Jesus in our image. So one person did this. They took the Victorian Jesus and Clifford Davis painted a picture of Jesus as CEO. What does Jesus look like when he shows up for work at a Fortune 500 company? Well, now you know. That wasn't enough. Because once again, every generation tries to recreate Jesus in their image. So in the late 80s and the early 90s, when there was a real emphasis on on the masculine Jesus and who he is, what does Jesus as a man look like? Well, 1999, Stephen Sawyer, the undefeated Jesus who's ready to go a few rounds with you interesting he still has very long hair well once again though that's only one part then there is the countercultural jesus from the 1960s and you can't read what's at the bottom of it but at the bottom of that are these words uh, wanted jesus christ alias the messiah the son of god the king of kings lord of lords prince of peace notorious leader of an underground liberation movement wanted for the following charges Practicing medicine, winemaking, and food distribution without a license. Interfering with businessmen in the temple. Associating with known criminals, radicals, subversive, prostitutes, and street people. Claiming to have the authority to make people into God's children. Appearance. Typical hippie type. Long hair, beard, robe, sandals. Hangs around slum areas. Few rich friends. Often sneaks out into the desert. Beware. This man is extremely dangerous. His insidiously inflammatory message is particularly dangerous to young people who haven't been taught to ignore him yet. He changes men and claims to set them free. Warning, he is still at large. Now, it's interesting to me, if you watch any sporting event, you have probably seen the commercial for He Gets Us. There's nothing new under the sun. The He Gets Us campaign is basically a recreation of this idea from the Jesus people movement in the 70s. Now, I've been asked, Pastor, what do you think about that? And I can't say I've done extensive research about the He Gets Us movement. I've tried to read a little bit. When you go to their website, there's an About Us, and you read their statement. You know, it says they believe that Jesus is the Son of God who was crucified for our sins and rose again. We dig a little deeper into the foundation that sponsors this. You kind of hit a brick wall as to who they are and what they believe. So, It's a little bit ambiguous, but this is the way I approach that. It can open up a wonderful opportunity for us to share the gospel, even if they're doing it from wrong motives. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses this issue of people who are preaching the gospel as a way to make money. And the Apostle Paul said, You know what? I don't know what their motives are, but the gospel is being preached. And although Paul didn't say this, he may have implied it, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. So I see, even though I don't know the specifics and there's some things that make me maybe a little bit nervous about the campaign, it's still a wonderful chance for you at work or as you talk with friends to say, did you see that commercial? What did you think about it? And to begin sharing the gospel. Because as I said, it in many ways is just a recapitulation of this idea from the 1970s. But I'm not done with our art survey yet. Once again, we tend to recreate Jesus in our image. So even with the Hindus, in 1920, uh, the San Francisco Vedanta Society produced Jesus the Yogi. Once again, this image of Jesus in our image. Now, it's very important for us to realize something there is no physical description of Jesus in the Bible. Isn't it interesting that the only description of Jesus is found in Isaiah 53, 2. And I draw your attention to the very last part of it. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, Jesus probably didn't look like Brad Pitt. He was a normal guy. In fact, anthropologists tell us that Palestinians in the time of Jesus would have had dark brown to black hair, deep brown eyes, olive brown skin, and probably stood five foot, five inches on average. That's probably what Jesus looked like. The danger is is that we tend to make him like us, not only physically, but even, even in a more dangerous way, we tend to recreate Jesus according to our views. Isn't it amazing that groups across the ideological spectrum all claim Jesus? He's on our side. Um, Kevin DeYoung, who's a pastor, wrote a great article where he addressed this about who is this Jesus? He said, when you look at the, the images of Jesus, and I'm not talking about physical images. I'm talking about ideological images. He says, you'll run across a wide variety. He says, there's the Republican Jesus who is against tax increases and activist judges, for family values and owning firearms. Then there's the Democrat Jesus, who's against Wall Street and Walmart, who's for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's the therapist Jesus, who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are, and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's the Starbucks Jesus, who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. There's the open minded Jesus, who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for those who are not open minded. There's the touchdown Jesus, who helps athletes run faster, jump higher than non Christians, and determines the outcome of Super Bowls. There's the gentle Jesus, who is meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, and walks around barefoot wearing a stash while looking very German. There's the hippie Jesus who teaches everyone to give peace a chance, imagines a world without religion, and helps us remember that all you need is love. And then there's the Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Not just another prophet, not just another rabbi, not just another wonder worker, he was the one they had been waiting for, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed, the one to deliver us from captivity, the goal of the most Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh, the one to establish God's reign and rule, the one to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners and proclaim good news to the poor, the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. The, the real Jesus is not a reflection of the current mood or the projection of our own desires. He is our Lord and God. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, substitute for our sins, more loving, more holy, more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. Church, Revelation reintroduces us to this Jesus. Now, the book of Revelation was written to tell the church not to be afraid of the powers that be. To me, that's the whole point of the book. Now, I know a few years ago I preached through Revelation and I'm not doing that again. But just as a reminder, the church was being challenged in two ways. Across the Roman Empire, there were areas where the church was being challenged by persecution. To follow Christ meant you were giving up your job, your home, and possibly even your life. So on one side, this idea of following Christ would cost everything. Now, there are other parts of the Roman Empire where persecution wasn't the problem. Pleasure was. Life was easy. You could be a Christian with no ramifications. And there became this apathy that would settle into the church where they would just go along. That's the church at Laodicea, neither hot nor cold. Everything was fine. So Revelation is written to remind believers of who Jesus is, that he is sovereign over history and to be Faithful witnesses. Now, notice in verse 4, it's written to seven churches. And certainly chapters 2 and 3 go into great detail about those seven churches at places like Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Laodicea, Philadelphia. Now, the letter was not only circulated among those seven churches, it would have spread throughout all of Asia Minor. The point of the seven churches is this, the idea of completion. The message is for all churches. When you read through chapters 2 through 3 and you read the description of each of those churches, those are periods that churches go through in their lifespan. Every church at some point will be on a high where they are on fire for God. They'll be like the church uh, that at Philadelphia, I believe it is, that is, is being faithful. At times churches may be like the church at Laodicea where they become apathetic and need to be reminded that Jesus stands at the door. This message is given to these churches because the message is for all believers because we will all at one point or another encounter the same challenges. The names may be different. The places may change. But the challenges remain to be faithful. And that challenge is for every believer. Whether it be believers in North Korea, the question is, will you remain faithful even though persecuted? To the believers in Europe, the question is, will you be faithful in your witness though your numbers are small and society has dismissed you? And even to believers in America, the question is, will you remain faithful even though you're tempted by the allurements of pleasure and life lived apart from God? Societal pressure has always been applied to believers. The time this was written, the question was emperor worship. Would you bow down and worship the emperor? Whether you deem it Nero or Domitian, the point was still the same. Will you worship the emperor or remain true to God? For us, the question is, will you ignore God in order to fit in? There's always a temptation to live for the pleasures of the world rather than the joys of Christ. And then, just as now, Christians were small in number, so small that they seemed like a sandcastle on the beach as a tsunami is getting ready to hit. So church revelation was written not only to those who first read it, but to us as an encouragement not to give in and not to give up. To be faithful as pilgrims in a strange land. Now if you have anxiety about all this discussion of, of pressures. Who are you going to worship? I would remind you as you look in verse 4. Look at the description. Grace and peace to you from him. And it's describing, I believe, the Lord. Who, who is, who was, and who is to come. Now think for a moment about that threefold description of God. Who is and who was, that speaks of consistency of character. He doesn't change. In many ways, it should take us back to what God said to Moses in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. Who am I? Yahweh. I will be whom I will be. But notice this. Notice the change. Who is? That's a statement of present tense. Who was? That's a statement of past tense. And who is to come? It speaks now more of just being and consistency. But it gives us a clue as to where the book of Revelation is going. It ends not just with the return of Christ. But with a new heaven and a new earth that is filled with the glory of God. Who is to come. As it says in Habakkuk and in Isaiah, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. Where does the new creation culminate? The Shekinah glory of God filling the earth. That's the culmination. He was, He is, and He is coming. The fullness of God. Now, if that wasn't enough, notice that the, the next description from the seven spirits who are before His throne. Seven is a number that speaks of fullness. It's a a, a word, a number that reminds us that in his entirety. So it's not saying there are seven aspects of God's Spirit. It's saying the fullness of God dwells between, in front of his throne. But notice these spirits before the throne is a reference to the Holy Spirit. I say that because notice the Trinitarian aspect. Grace to you from him who was, who is, and who is to come. That's God the Father. From the seven spirits who are before the throne, that is the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ. Now, the importance of being before the throne is a reminder that this fullness of God who's before the throne supplies what we need as we live for Him. The Spirit supplies the power and the ability to do what God would have us to do. In many ways, this is based upon Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 in the Old Testament, where Zechariah has been given this task of leading in the rebuilding of the temple. And he says, how in the world can this be done? Lord, how do we do this? And God answers him. How do you do this, Zachariah? It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit. And this is echoing that truth for us. I don't know if you've ever had this experience working in the yard. We have a weed eater that's on an electric cord. And when I used to weed eat regularly, we would have that cord. And did you ever hit that point where you've got to get to this one spot And the cord just doesn't reach. Maybe it's snagged on a bush or maybe it's just too short. And you're thinking, I should have got the 75-foot cord instead of the 50-foot. So much for saving a dime. This is saying us, the cord of God's Spirit is never too short. Through the Spirit of God, you and I have the power of God dwelling within us. And that is the power that is before the throne. He is there. The same power that was at work within Jesus raising him from the dead is at work within us. And now finally we get to Jesus. The whole point of the, the message as it were. The whole point of this series. To Jesus the Christ. Notice this is Jesus Messiah. Now with Jesus John goes into a bit more detail. Because notice there are three appositional phrases to describe who he is. The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and ruler of kings on earth. Now it is my view that these three titles of Jesus remind us of the whole purpose of the book of Revelation. Who Jesus is, is the answer for the church that is struggling to remain faithful, whether it be due to prosperity or to persecution. Who Jesus is is the answer for us as we face that challenge of not becoming apathetic in our faith. So notice the first description. He is the faithful witness. Jesus did not cease preaching the kingdom of God even when public opinion turned against him. When he faced pressure from the Pharisees, he continued to preach. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. When he stood before Pontius Pilate, who represented the power of Rome. And Pontius Pilate asked him directly. Are you a king? How did Jesus answer? As you have said. He was faithful in his witness. Even unto death. And it's a reminder for us that he leads the way in us being faithful witnesses. Now, although we are seeing society go through dramatic seismic shifts, and as society becomes more secular, now all that means is, whereas at one point there was a common morality based upon the Judeo-Christian ethic, that has changed. The ethic of our nation is no longer based on the Judeo-Christian ethic. It is based on heart's desire, which is very shaky ground. Now, because of that, Christianity is pushed more toward the fringe. So the question for us is, will we be faithful? Because rather than facing despair because of that, I want you to realize something. There is a great spiritual hunger in our nation. Because it's left this void. And we hunger for God. Lifeway Research did some uh, investigation into the spiritual desire for spiritual conversation. And what they found is this. Half of all Americans, 51%, say they are curious as to why some people are so devoted to their faith. 51%. Still wonder, how are you devoted to your faith? Now, as they focused upon the religiously unaffiliated, that's those who say, I don't know if there's a God or not, they found that 60% of them asked the same question. So while there may be a rejection of Judeo-Christian ethics, spiritual questions still remain. And this is even greater among young people. They found between those, between the ages of 18 and 34, 61% are curious about faith. 61%. Now, as people get older, that number decreases. But my point is this. Instead of us as a church pulling a chicken little and saying the sky is falling and trying to bury our heads in the sand, this is when we need to be engaging With our culture to ask questions to be available for conversations that is the faithful witness we follow the example of Christ he leads the way in that he is the faithful witness therefore be not afraid look at the next one the next description of Jesus firstborn of the dead Now, as I said earlier, there were places in the Roman Empire when Revelation was written where they were they were dying for their faith. There's no two ways about that. As we sit here in worship this morning, we need to be mindful there are brothers and sisters that will be gathering around the world today in secret. Because they know that if they are found out, they will suffer. And the reminder is that to those who face the question, will you remain faithful or will you give in to save your neck? Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. This is the foundation, the cornerstone of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus. That's what it means when it says the firstborn of the dead. Then the firstborn reminds us that just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, all who have faith in him will be resurrected also. I say the resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith because the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said, Brothers and sisters, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, we are foolish. (laughs) If he's not been raised from the dead, then we are still in our sins and everything we do is for nothing. This is a reminder that Jesus has control over death and hell. Death is not a power in competition with God. Death is a defeated enemy over whom he is sovereign. You see this. Of the miracles Jesus displayed, the ones that are the most shocking to us are the ones where he brought people back from the dead. As he's going into town, he meets a funeral procession coming out. A widow has lost her only son. He stops the procession and he brings the boy back from the dead. Then, of course, there's our favorite story. When I say we, me, and Jody in Mark chapter 5, Jairus' daughter is dead. Jesus kneels down to her and says, Tabitha, Kumi, little girl, get up. And she comes back from the dead. Lazarus. But I would remind you that when Jesus came back from the grave, his was different. All the others were resuscitations. Every person that Jesus brought back from the dead died again, but not Jesus, because his was the true resurrection where he came forth in the resurrected body, raised immortal. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, our bodies are buried mortal, raised immortal. They are buried corruptible, raised incorruptible, because the resurrection body will be of a different type, and the resurrection of Jesus reminds us we need not fear death. Because our Lord has led the way in the resurrection. And if there's one of these descriptive terms that we need to hold on to today, it's at the end of verse 5. He is the ruler of kings on earth. This was written to a church that was facing the question of emperor worship. And it's a reminder that we look at the powers that be on this planet What are they to God? And we need to be mindful of that because we live in an endless cycle of political news touting this person holds the answer, this person holds the answer. And as believers, we need to be the ones to rise above that to say, none of them hold the answer. We serve the one who is above kings of this earth. Therefore, don't be afraid. He's saying to those who are afraid because Nero is the king, don't be afraid. In fact, kings throughout the book of Revelation are portrayed as the enemies of Christ. They are filled with evil. They fight against Christ in the kingdom. And it's a reminder that they will be defeated because notice it doesn't say he is the king of kings. He says he is the ruler of kings. He has authority over them. The efforts of those in this world who rise up against Jesus are like that of a gnat hitting an armored tank because he is the ruler of kings. So all of this is, is listed here, and I'm just scratching the surface. We'll dive more into who Jesus is, but do you see where he leads the way? He leads the way as the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth. What do we have to fear? And it all comes back to the question of who or what will we worship? Remain faithful. Keep focused on who Jesus is. All those pictures I showed earlier, that's fluff. Who is he? Who is our Lord? Well, we've seen three descriptions of him now. And if I say this at the risk of sounding trot, I must. He is awesome awesome bow with me if you will father we need these reminders because even though our circumstances are very different from the early church we still share much in common we still face the temptations to to worry to be anxious to pull back in our witness so lord help us to gain confidence First of all, through your spirit who is before the throne supplying everything that we need. And Lord, help us to remember who Jesus is. The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on this earth. Father, you alone know the state of every heart gathered here today and every heart of those who are watching online this morning. And you know which one of these we need to be applied? For those who are worried, remind them that you are the ruler. For those who are feeling anxious because they don't know how to be a witness, remind them you are the faithful witness. You have led the way. And for those who are fearful of death, remind them you are the firstborn of creation, the firstborn of the dead. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.